0: understand that there's money at stake and there's business uh, decisions at stake and I think we have to sort all of those things out but right now it's like I think our soul is on the line and I know my soul, they know my soul and I am praying that I get some of them to come <laughs> over and <laughs> and see a little light. <laughs> and then afterwards we can have all the debates on how we reform the system so that it's all more fair. But I, I think like you, Ryan, I wanted to support this president and I cannot.
1: We were joined by Joanna Masca. And she has a political background, which being completely candid, I was like, okay, what are we going to talk about in this one? Is this going to be a little bit boring or is it going to be exciting because of the time she was the director of press advance for President Obama in the White House. And honestly, just like a great personality, great perspective. We had some really thoughtful conversation about where politics is headed, why it's important to get involved. And also... You know what what the future looks like from her perspective
2: plus i can't tell you how many people i've met from kansas that are democrat and it's sort of sad that we have to put someone in one camp or the other but the fact is joanna's whole family are republicans and she is the sole democrat and so you can imagine the tension at the old family reunion we actually talk a little bit about that in this episode
1: yeah, she's, uh, she's currently the CEO of, a, of Global Situation Room. So she's gone out, she's an entrepreneur, obviously has a lot of courage to go against the family grain and, and find her own path, her own voice. And it was just really interesting just to hear and understand the perspective of the party system and the needs and opening it up to a third party and the problems that we currently have in our governmental system and how important
2: it is to get involved and vote and have a voice. And here we are. We're just a uh, couple days away from from the day. And so, yeah, for the for the listener, we, we didn't really like put a point of view on red versus blue or left versus right. We really just talked about right versus wrong, and it, we cover a lot of ground. Hopefully, you'll enjoy the episode. Ryan, I'm pumped for today because we have. For the first time, a very different type of guest. We've had athletes and Olympians, and we've had Navy SEALs, and and I think we probably have the bravest conversation that we've had of them all. Um, We're going to talk politics today. Who's ready to talk politics? (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Oh, oh boy. We just lost like half our viewers. People just turned off the podcast.
0: Not just politics.
2: (laughs) We're not going to talk just politics, but we have Johanna Mosca. She's the CEO of Global Situation Room. Um, If I get it wrong, Joanna, you just let me know. No problem. A public affairs firm with offices in L.A. and and naturally D.C. You were the director of press advance for Obama. That's right. Um, And it makes me wonder, like, right now, D.C. seems to be the most Lando Calrissian place on the planet because like one second it's red and the next second it's blue. And maybe that's the wrong conversation, but like, is, do you see that to be true for DC right now?
0: Yeah. And I think it's not just DC. And that's what concerns me is that people, you know, right now it feels really polarized and it's hard for me. um, Both Ryan's I'm obviously I worked with president Obama, so I've been a Democrat, as long as I could be registered to vote. But my whole family are conservatives, bedrock conservatives um, from Wichita, Kansas and Galesburg, Illinois. And um, and so, you know, like all of these uh, issues come up at every family gathering. And I love my family so much. They are like, they're the reason I have my values. And so it's really hard to see people think that we're so far apart when I think we're a lot closer together than our politics sometimes would make us believe.
2: Yeah, I must admit I was confused. For, for those who are just listening, you can't see the color choice for today. <laughs> lot, so, I mean, we're, 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 you're rocking all red.
0: I'm wearing red. <laughs> it's so, a good color on camera. You okay, know? good
2: on-camera color. <laughs> So I was like, did she change her, uh, her politics, which is, you know, I, it's, it's unemotional. Honestly, it's, you're, you're here because I, I'm, I think we both value your, your honest take. And I really am curious on, do you feel like we are far apart or I, I'm sensing your sense like that you think we're not that far apart, like what's going on here?
0: I, I really think that most of us want a shot for our kids, right? That we want our kids to have a chance at the American dream and that we want the world to be a better place. And we may have different perspectives. I mean, I can fully appreciate that some people believe that, um, you know, government should take a back seat on some of the regulations and that some of the private sector can, you know, uh, regulate itself. And you can have those debates with people, right? but right now what's really hard is when you get in a conversation with someone and they bring up something that just is not based on fact something like you know obama spied on us or something like you know uh pizzagate and you're going whoa 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 and you know like it's it we've seen it right on both sides where you've got a movement that says, you know, you want to defund the police and we're going to like riot in the streets. If we don't have a, you know, Supreme court justice, if that we want. And then on the other side, you know, we need to like take our guns to rallies with kids. And it's like, what is happening to our communities? Because, I don't know about you guys, but I've got my son in our public school and I have friends on the other side of the aisle and I don't believe that we are, you know, uh, that we need to, I've heard, pick a side, we're going to civil war, like, I don't believe that we need a civil war, one or that that would be a wise use of our time too, or that that's gonna actually help the globe with all of these problems that we recognize together that we have, which is the economy is changing so dramatically and so quickly that a lot of people feel very left behind and vulnerable and scared, and we need to take this on, I believe, together.
1: I mean, so much has changed, right, so rapidly, and, I'm curious, you know, if we if we went back in your history a little bit, what, what got you excited or interested in politics to start? I mean, it sounds like you kind of went maybe a different path, quite opposite of where your family is and where they were raised or, or how you were raised. So I'm just curious, how did that all start for you?
0: Yeah, my my family actually, I say all the time, like I got my values from my family. They're very hardworking Midwesterners. My dad is a small business owner. He has a brewery in Keokuk, Iowa. Um, I uh, began, you know, getting involved in politics in high school, and um, was very motivated to, you know, learn kind of how our government um, is involved in all of these different conversations. And um, when I started looking at the landscape of the parties, I decided to register as a Democrat. And my dad said, get out of my room. (laughs) I can't believe this. You know, how did I raise a Democrat? And I was saying, Dad, you know, I believe in, uh, you know, everybody having a right. To um, the opportunity. Um, You know, I had gone to a public school and I believed that our public schools needed to be fantastic resources to give us all the ability to um, become the best version of ourselves. Um, It's interesting because my family has kind of watched me going what is she doing now right like i went to the university of kansas and i uh, did a big voter registration drive i got invited to dinner with gloria steinem my mom was there it was my 21st birthday i brought her with um we had drinks with gloria steinem and i talked to her about you know her history in you know what she's fought for for women and um and equal rights right and I, uh, I decided to pursue that path and got involved in politics, um, started working with Kathleen Sebelius in Kansas, who's a Democrat in a very Republican state. So I often compare it to California, actually, because it's kind of like you have moderates. And conservatives and the occasional Democrat gets elected and kind of like here in California, you have moderates and liberals and occasionally you have, you know, the Republican like Schwarzenegger who gets elected. Um, so that's the Democrat I was working for in Kansas before moving to Iowa Um Uh, with my husband, and then getting involved in the Obama campaign at the very beginning of Iowa, you know, what appealed to me so much about President Obama was he talked about, we're not just red states or blue states, we're the United States of America. And that's the person who I worked with and for, for the next eight years, I traveled with him to 42 countries, um, to more without. And I truly believe that our opportunity as Americans is when we come together and embrace our diversity and really you know, work with our diaspora communities to solve global problems, we will maintain our economic dominance and our thought leadership across the world in perpetuity. But right now we're so, we've been fighting so much against one another that we're not there. And so it's just really challenging because when I was in the White House, I had my son while I was running NATO and the G8 summit, and I was in Afghanistan seven weeks after I delivered him for the live address to the nation on the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. Um, It was a really important event, and and I was needed. So I was there. And when I left, he was three, and I thought, you know, I'm done, right? I don't want to be involved. I just want to move to California, and I want to get involved in, you know, something else that I care about. So I moved out here actually at the time for the LA times when uh, some um, uh, philanthropists were looking at trying to save journalism and it turned out journalism didn't want to be saved yet. So they turned down the bid to buy it. And uh, I got out to this incredible entrepreneurial state and got involved in entrepreneurism myself. Um, And so now that's, I guess, where we find each other is, I've been looking at the state of affairs, and it's just so toxic and so divisive and so negative that for the first time in a long time, I said, you know what, I want to have a voice out there because enough is enough. And uh, with two other extraordinary women I worked with, Darian Page, who is an Iraq War vet, who was our director of military outreach and Alejandra Campaverdi, who was our director, our deputy director of Hispanic outreach. We came together to try to have a different kind of political conversation with Pod as a woman. And that's how we reconnected. So,
2: Yeah. You know, I can't help but wonder the sad reality of a new, this new normal. And I don't mean the pandemic to me, the new normal on this conversation is the minute you say you work for Obama, people stop paying attention. Some people stop paying attention yeah. to you.
0: Yeah.
2: Right. And on the other side, someone says they work for Trump. You instantly stop paying attention to that person. And we, we shut off and I don't know who wants that other than you talk about the civil war. Yeah. But if it's like, if Russia is at the, the ready again, poor Russia, cause I don't have any facts to say that it's right. You know what I mean? But, but, but how do we fix that? Like, how do we honestly come together and, and listen to one another? And I'll give you a second part of this, which is I can't imagine that the left and the right really are that far off on what's right and what's wrong.
0: You're right. You know, it takes leaders, number one, stepping up and saying, this is not, Okay, right, and so that's the the part of why I thought this was such an important time for those of us who believe that resistance is not the answer to you know really have a place um, to be at the table. Um, I watched. The Democrats essentially learned from the Republicans. And, you know, that's from my experience, right? Because I came into Washington with President Obama and I had all these hopes of Republicans working with Democrats. And, of course, you know, I saw resistance in the Republican Party because essentially, um, you know, at the beginning of the administration, they said, we're not going to let President Obama pass anything. Well, you know, now that I have friends on both sides of the aisle who've been there a very long time, they tell me that, well, it was before, right? You know, you had uh, Clinton and Gingrich. You had, you know, all of these debates have gone on and gone on. And I think there's something about, like, that toxicity, that division has actually been allowed to fuel itself, like, even with the pundits who leave and get shows, right? It's like Crossfire, for example, when they were yelling at each other, Um, It's not looking at where we do agree. And I think social media has only further divided us because we're only seeing what's in our own feed. And so subsequently, we believe we're right all the time. And in this resistance, the only people who end up winning is actually the politicians themselves who continue to get reelected without doing anything and not the people who want them to make progress, right? Like we're sitting in a pandemic and we don't have a second relief package for small businesses that are hurting because people are fighting and think it's more important to keep fighting than to get something passed. And that's a problem. So, you know, it's incumbent on us, I believe as citizens to say, I am not going to look at just my own ideology I am going to be willing to have a conversation with someone else and listen to where they come from. And when I am willing to sit down at that table, then hopefully they'll be listening to me too. And that's what we're doing. Like this Thursday, um, we'll be on with uh, two Republicans. Uh, Darian Page and I will be on with two Republicans um, on an Aspen panel, kind of looking at where we can agree.
2: Why is there only two sides? I mean,
0: I mean, I know that. I there's, agree with you. you Why know, do we not have a third party? Right? Like, well,
2: my buddy's a libertarian, and you know, the we have this conversation. That it's like, and he he goes back and forth too. So your family's not the only one that doesn't know yet which way they're voting. But he's like, or we're like, is it a wasted vote, or is it not a wasted vote to vote for the Libertarian Party right now? And he even he goes back and forth. It's not a wasted vote because it might be a long game. But clearly the system that we have right now isn't working. Um, So even what's your take, how do we even get to a third party and I'm sure that red and blue are not interested in the third party. Correct.
0: Yeah, but I have never heard a president of the United States, even in the divisive uh, state of politics, I have never heard a president of the United States stand up at the presidential podium and talk about blue states as if they don't matter and as if they're not, you know, part of the United States of America. So I think we need to get back to basics before we explore, you know, what could we do so that the parties don't have this much power? And that has to do with money in politics. And it is... Like that is something that I would love to see Americans take on is this um, the amount of money that the parties are able to raise, you know, really makes it so that a third party is very unlikely. There's a lot of reforms, actually, that some people who were involved in the Obama orbit and then got a little disenfranchised have looked at, like whether it's um, uh, ranked voting. So that you could, instead of just putting, you know, the, the Democrat or the Republican, you could put the Libertarian. And then, you know, if you decide the Democrat or then you decide the Republican, you could do ranked voting, which would help us with our polarization. You can do something instead of it just being the Republican and the Democrat who are on the ticket, you have the people who got the most votes. So if it's two Republicans, that's, you know, it would be two Republicans on the ballot, or if it's two Democrats, it would be two Democrats on the ballot. And we of course have some of that in California. So there's a lot of reforms that we could actually push together to make it so that it's more fair because at the end of the day what really frustrates me about politics and you know it is it's a when you sign up to be involved in this orbit you are going to get criticized period like everything about you and your family is going to be scrutinized And so what ends up happening is only those people who look themselves in the mirror who are like, oh my God, I'm so great, right? I have to have this platform who end up, you know, running for office on both sides. And then there are the people who are actually really good people. But to tell them apart, like a lot of times, you don't know the people who are on the ballot. And so I think that a lot of us have to like come forward and call out the BS on both sides of the aisle. And right now, for Donald Trump, you know, to stand at a presidential podium and say this is all blue state's fault, or Democrat mayors, you know, in these cities that are fueling violence, that is inaccurate and that is like a step too far. And I think we have to reset until like before we can get back to some of those reforms.
1: There's a lot of finger pointing going on for sure. And- and I think just like this tribal mentality it's it's odd to see this divide going on I, I'm curious just you know talking a little bit more about your your background you've seen um, a spectrum of experience you went from Obama to The Times to starting your own company to hosting a podcast and creating content yourself and creating a voice for yourself which t- which takes courage um, to put yourself out there, especially in a category with your background, I would say, right? So I'm, I'm interested in how, how did you build confidence, you know, to go out on your own and, and get to entrepreneurism? And, and has it been difficult? Has it been an easy ride? Have you learned a lot? what what has it been like?
0: Well, we just kind of started out by talking about being parents, right? And my parents um, are, I believe the people who raised me To have the confidence to go out there and say, like, I'm going to try this even if I fail. And they've always been the people who are supportive um, enough to say, believe in yourself, right? And I found that that is, you know, the way that I got in the position I had with President Obama because. When I first started working for him, you know, it was Barack Hussein Obama. Ha ha ha. There's no way he's going to be elected president. And I didn't care. I didn't actually care if he was elected president. I wanted to stand up and say I supported someone who believed that there's not blue states or red states, right? And um, it's only in taking those risks that we can have the rewards. I think that entrepreneurism is America's superpower, And I know you guys, you know, also have put yourself out there and have been in this world. And, you know, that's what frustrates me right now is that I think we're at a point in time where we may make it very difficult for our kids to go out and live their dreams if we're not careful. Like even the healthcare debate, for example, you know, my my family has had healthcare struggles through the pandemic, and um, my parents are on the Affordable Care Act, and so now it's really hit home for my mom, realizing that she could potentially not have coverage, and you know, I am fully b- believe I the Affordable Care Act did not fix everything and it's not affordable. In too many cases, it costs a lot of money. But in making it so that a corporation has to pay our kids, you know, health insurance, I remember my mom's advice when I left college and it was get a job with health insurance, right? And it's like- I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> and the this is a real issue. That, yes. And the, the problem with that is- okay, yes, we want our kids to have jobs, but we also want them to create their own jobs. We want them to go out there and to build the next versions of all of the companies that we can have all of our kids working for. If they've got a good idea, they should be able to go out there and we should have some level of safety net in which they're able to do it without literally risking life or death.
1: I, I was literally having this conversation with Berman maybe two weeks ago, right? I have a newborn... And, and it's, it really puts people on a ledge of yeah. like making a decision where maybe they have this internal feeling, Hey, I know what courage feels like, but then you're balancing it against the safety of your family. Exactly. And we're making, and, and that choice is being made in many families because people are putting themselves at risk with the pandemic and COVID. You're putting your family potentially at risk if you want to go out and start something. So it's like, how do you balance these choices with the current structure that we have. It seems like you've put some thought into this.
0: Oh yeah. And it is, it's literally what keeps me up. Like I, <laughs> for whatever reason, I am so motivated by policy. I hate politics, but you know, the thought of a, the world as it should be, right? Like where a good idea can be realized. When someone has a good idea, they can find the people who will support that good idea, they can fund that idea, they can realize that idea, and we can solve global problems. That is the world I want to see. And, you know, in Galesburg, Illinois, my little hometown, we lost manufacturing, we lost Maytag. And so a lot of people lost jobs and livelihoods. And in us losing that big company, you know, there is that, like, you can't risk everything that, so you're going to have to move, right, for a job to a big city, which you can't afford. And we are not able to rebuild our small cities that way. So, you know, like, that is, I believe that if Republicans and Democrats truly came together, and said, yes, we want every single person to have a chance at the American dream. What does the American dream look like? How do we give people jobs and opportunities? We would get to the place where, you know, we have a lot of this data and we can analyze it and we can say, okay, you know, a place like Galesburg, Illinois has lost a lot of jobs. We need to increase our science and math and and our STEM technologies. You know, our kids in Galesburg have a massive stadium And we don't have nearly the computer labs we should. Shouldn't we be investing in that technology education there? And then shouldn't we be funding some of their companies so that they can start them right there in Galesburg, Illinois? Shouldn't community college be free for every single person who has an idea and wants to learn the trade skills that they need? And shouldn't they have access to some sort of you know, funding that isn't just available to the privileged. And I actually think that most of us agree at, at some of those. We have different ways of getting at it sometimes. You know, some people think that, well, we have to have more government involvement so that there's more transparency. Some people think the private sector needs to work this out because they can get it done more quickly. And there's probably a little bit of truth to both. So why can't we just work this out? And right now, because we don't have a politics in which we judge our leaders based on their leadership, but rather by their party, we vote for whoever it is who fits our lens of ideology. And we're not actually looking at what, what new ideas are they bringing to the equation?
2: Yeah, I, I think um, being a, you know, let's call a spade a spade on my side. Like, I'm a, I'm a marketer. You're in politics. There are similarities to what we do, right? So like I'm trying to rack my brain on the, is this simply, you know, to to market the country, it shouldn't be so foreign, but because we're not building empathy for both groups, Mm. right, you can't step into the shoes of someone that, that you're not interacting with. And as you perfectly stated, your social media feed is serving up all the things that the algorithm is telling you that you should see to sort of validate your idea, right? Your, your, your version of the truth. Now to be vulnerable and share my perspective on politics, like I am so not, I'm not like left wing and I'm not right wing, I'm center wing. Like I want to start center wing because I really do feel that I, and I don't think I'm alone on this, that my belief matters of what I think is right or wrong. But I also liked the idea of the country being run like a business. And I got to admit when, Trump won. And again, I'm 3000 miles away in San Diego from DC. My first thought, my wife was like, just like beside herself. I'm like, well, give him a, give him a chance. Like, you know, I'm trying to be a positive person. And it was the first time ever that I, I did think about the two B's belief in business. Okay. I know where I'm voting. And, but it's sad that like, how do we help people sort of see it from a, somebody else's perspective and then this concept of change, which is what courage is all about, the need for change, when something changes against your perspective or you're worried about that change, all you can think about is the fear of the change, of someone affecting your bottom line or something being given given out that's so against your, your belief system. And then I go back, is it really against your belief system?
0: Yeah, I think we have to evolve, right? I mean, I think... There's so much there in the sense of I, I did the same when President Trump was elected because I had worked at a White House. I said, I will never root against a president in the United States. And I did a podcast. Actually, it was like millennials don't suck. And you can look it up. I said, I'm going to root for this president. And at the time it was like, what? <laughs> and was like, you know, I don't want to root against the president of the United States. I fear that um, this president has um, really taken the polarization that it existed already in our feeds and has really um, pushed on the gas, right? And that is scary to me because Then you do get those ideologies that are so divided that people think, oh, my God, you know, if this person doesn't win, then, you know, there's going to be burning and looting and rioting in the streets. And it's like, you know, when you say that, when you are a leader, you have the power to create that. And that is not the kind of leadership that I want. And so I think actually when we look at brands, you know, very similarly, you know, now we do a lot because we're public affairs and we do a lot in terms of, you know, any brand is now living in this very divided and polarized world in which, you know, people have um, real fears. But I think that brands get in business initially because they're solving a problem, right? For people, they have a solution that they're trying to market to people. And I think if we step back and instead of making someone else into the enemy, talk about the solutions that we have, we can find more agreement. And so I'd like to see politicians on all sides do that. And I'd like to see brands really step forward, you know, exactly what you're talking about, have the courage of conviction, right? So, you know, if if president trump is on the side let's say president trump wins we don't know what's going to happen on election day we really don't you know there's a very big chance that the popular vote could go very heavily to joe biden and that you know there could be an electoral mo- Electoral college win for President Trump. And so a brand now is in the position where they have four more years of President Trump with a population that voted overwhelmingly for Joe Biden, right? So, how do they explain that they're working with the White House on anything? And I'm of the belief that if you've already told someone what you believe, if you've created that reservoir of goodwill, which is what we talk about a lot with Global Situation Room, if you have already talked about the solutions that you care about, and maybe it's, you know, that you're going to work with any president on, you know, uh, justice reform or something like that, then you're at the table because that's of your belief. Right. And so you don't have to go down the road that is so partisan. And I think it's only when we start talking about those real issues that we'll find some agreement.
2: Yeah. But I, I don't send, I mean, I don't sense that I've heard the, what this, you know, again, I gotta be careful not to go down the rabbit hole here. Yeah. Right. But you can't have conviction without clarity.
0: Well, you can have conviction on an issue, right? Like if you're a brand and you say, "I'm going to stand for racial justice,"
2: but that's clarity. For that's it clarity. is.
0: It's clarity, right. and and it's also like I am going to stand for racial justice every time, right? And so let's say President Trump is reelected, and and by the way, President Trump just uh, ended all um, uh, trainings of bias and, you know, talked about the indoctrination of our children in learning about different cultures. So, you know, he's not very clear on these things, but, you know, like, let's say he wins and you are the brand who's working on, uh, social justice reform, and you've been working on racial justice reform. And President Trump is asking people to come to the table. Are you, as a brand, going to say I'm not going to go to the table with the President of the United States of America, or are you going to go to the table of the President of the United States of America and and try to stand up for racial justice and try to get that President of the United States to hear what you have to say? I'm of the belief that you should be there at the table. Um, always with those who have power and that when we seed that power well then we're in trouble
2: yeah again i just think it feels like my old days marketing telecommunication ads where it was on purpose confusing it was on purpose like the two big this is i'm dating myself i get it but like <laughs> i come from mci and at&t and no one could tell the difference between the two it was completely confusing therefore you do nothing and I'm not saying, you know, blue and red and and they're both confusing and therefore you do nothing, but I do find that I, I wish there was something else. I can't imagine I'm alone. Um, and so then it's like you, like I'm voting for the lesser of the evils. I've heard that quite a bit. Um, and it's just disappointing because like, go back to what you said. Like, I want, I want my kids to live a courageous life. I think the American dream, that's why all of us have started companies ourselves. It shouldn't be started a company asterisks with healthcare. right? Yeah. Um, and just to pivot, you know, this is a tough, tough week in the country. We lost a giant in Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Like what's like, first of all, talk to me about your take on that. How are you holding up? And then like, what are the ramifications for the country?
0: Yeah. Well, and let's talk about Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a person, right? She's a woman who to get gender equality fought for men's gender equality, for men's equality, as much as for women's. Equality, And she's a person who was friends with Justice Scalia, who was on the complete other side of the aisle from her. She is a person who showed moral conviction and clarity in, in everything that she did. And even in her dissent opinions, you know, showed why she had that opinion. And so, you know, it's a massive loss for our country that we have lost um, you know, someone who has worked across uh, party lines, but I believe that the um, the next of those folks are actually out there because I've worked with them. And I don't think that we're giving them enough oxygen and enough fuel. So, you know, wh- when you say like, you know, it's sometimes frustrating, right? Because all Democrats and all Republicans are all the same. I've worked with some heinous Democrats and some heinous Republicans, and I've worked with some wonderful Democrats and some wonderful Republicans, and they're not all the same, right? It's just like, you know, uh, uh, like a little league coach or like there are some people out there who you're like, oh my God, right? I don't want my kid learning these lessons, no. So, you know, very similarly, we have to engage in our democracy. And I believe that that happens on a very local level. Like, so for any business, I actually think that, you know, like public affairs doesn't start with hiring a lobbyist in DC. Public affairs starts by engaging your communities on issues that matter within wherever you are based. And then, you know, really having the conviction of this is what we stand for and this is, you know, like what we want to be involved in that actually grows from there. And I said, you know, on a global uh, call, like even the global dynamics at play, they are real, real risk factors for being able to solve global problems right so whether it's a you know a company that's doing business with china right now you know china and the us's relationship is is going to be in flux no matter who wins this next election and it has to do with covid it has to do with trade it has to do with climate it has to do with a lot of different factors And so if you're engaging in those discussions, you better have a lot of goodwill at home and explain why are you manufacturing things in China, right? Why are you buying things from China? Why are you, like, I think that it is actually really important to have these discussions and to not gloss over these issues that do matter to people on the right and the left. And so, you know, I... When you talk about politics as if it's just these people in D.C. who are going to tell us what to do, it can get really frustrating really quickly. But if you look at it as I am a member of a democracy, I am a member of you know my community, and I need to get involved in what my city council is doing, what my school board is doing, and what my you know legislature is doing, I think it becomes a little less. Uh, difficult and then when you start meeting the people you know who's good and who's not good right like who's actually being courageous and who's just the facade i think like
1: you you hit on it a couple times talking about community and, and yes but you know working from home we have and having a, special a cat tail <laughs>
0: have
1: something
2: to say what, my what's
0: cat a, what's your cat's name this is gloria she's the, the old girl who's moved with us from Kansas to Iowa to D.C. to California.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're in her space. She was <laughs> named after. Here?
0: Gloria Steinem, mm-hmm. who was a cat girl.
1: <laughs> so we've only been at this a few hundred years, right? Like, I mean, that's not that long in human existence. No. And... I keep thinking about like what is going on with our community right now, and you know when you're talking about solving big issues, you're talking about starting small, starting with your community. But I mean, even thinking back to you know when Obama was in presidency, so much has changed so rapidly. Yeah. What what do you think's going on with our community right now? Because I, I do want to get back to you know just this experience that we're going through right now and the effect that it's had on the community. And I was just thinking, you know, I I said a few hundred years because in context, it's like, we've just been evolving this system. Do we have it all wrong? Like, you know, I think this pause has given people a real serious thing to think about. And the fact that, you know, more important issues seem to be bubbling up and one of the big ones is, like, the sense of community keeps coming through as a theme. Yeah. And I'm just curious on, like, how much that gets, is getting talked about. You know, it seems like there's a renewed interest in politics, and there's obviously a lot more means to communicate. But that doesn't mean that the community is better or closer. It just means that there's an influx of information. And so I'm just wondering, like, how you're thinking about that you know, what's going on in the local community and how do, how do you get more involved, especially in a time like this?
0: It's so hard. It's a moment where, um, you know, I think first and foremost, I don't think it had to be this way. So when I'm sitting in my home with my son who's eight, so he can, he figures it out, right. He, he has real, heavy emotions about being at home and not being able to go to school and i miss my friends and you know like he was sitting there one point i had to remind him that my grandmother was born in um, england during world war ii and she had to run to bomb shelters Throughout her entire childhood. And so things could be worse, right? So I had to, you know, give him this context. And the next day in chalk on our driveway, he drew a bomb shelter and then, like, drew our rooms in the bomb shelter. And it was like, oh my God, this is real. And this is very heavy. And I think, you know, for all of us, it gives us that moment. Like, I'm so grateful I've gotten to be with my family for. Um, this extended period because so many people have not had that privilege they're still working on the front lines of a global pandemic right there there are healthcare workers and um in that time that we all have when we have that time to reflect it's like what did we do wrong right like and i think about um the obama administration because there was so much hope at that moment and um I remember Matt Damon on one of our first UN, uh, the United Nations meetings, we'd all go to the Waldorf was the place where the American delegation would have a big um, presence. And and Matt Damon was actually filming a movie there. And I remember he came up to our staff office and was like, oh my God, you guys are so great, right? Like you guys are. And then I remember the real act when he was like, He didn't do enough, he hasn't addressed these issues, and you know, change is hard. It is almost impossible to get people to take on everything that we need them to do, and especially if you're alone, right? So if you think that the President of the United States can solve all of our problems, and you rely on the President of the United States to to solve all of our problems, you are going to be disappointed. And so I will say that I have, you know, I believe that all too often we forgot the lessons that it's incumbent on all of us, right? It is every one of our voices that matters. It's not just the President of the United States. And, but on the flip side of that, I've never seen such power to show what's right as when you do have the office of the presidency. Like I remember in Senegal um, when President Obama was in Senegal and um, he was asked a question about gay rights. And, you know, at the time in Senegal, there were no rights for gay people in Senegal. And he took a very strong position that we believe in human rights and forced the other leader to, you know, address... And that is, you know, slow power can change the dynamics for people and for rights around the world. And it's not going to do it overnight. But even with what we've seen on climate change, you know, we have the day after the election right now, climate change is on the ballot because President Trump has announced his desire to pull out of the UN climate change agreement, which basically got 200 companies countries to agree that climate change is an issue and that we need to decrease our emissions so that we can tackle this real scientific problem that all of us know exists. So like, let's look at the pandemic as a scientific problem that we all all know exists. Like, we knew that the pandemic could happen. We knew any pandemic could happen. That's why you have a National Security Council uh, that's actually designed to take that on. And President Trump, unfortunately, did away with some of that. Same is true on climate change. This should be a national security issue that we should be looking at every day of how we're addressing this and how we're leading the world. In stepping back of that leadership, we've actually given China the upper hand because China was the one that didn't want to have the climate change agreement. China was trying to derail the climate change agreement in Copenhagen. So if you look at these issues, you know, if a leader takes these issues on, they are able to move the ball forward. The problem is we let them move it forward for four or eight years and then we give the other party power. And, you know, China's planning on 50 year strategy while we're doing these, you know, like, let's pass it back and forth every four years. And that is not the way we should be solving some of these massive scientific problems that we have. And when we look at it, you know, and we stop doubting all the science, and we start actually taking on some of the problems, we will be better for it.
2: Yeah, but this is the this is the process we put forth, right? Like, this is the, this is, in some ways, you could say democracy. I mean, you know, I'm not saying it is actually. And this is, maybe this is a a, 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 a tragic statement. Okay. But as you're talking and I've, and I've said this before too, I'm like, you're so far advanced on like knowing the realities of what's going on versus what the news tells us. And I go back to being, you know, I think I'm a slightly educated guy, but I'm still 3000 miles away from, from, from DC. and, part of me is like this may sound crazy but i would question if i deserve a vote i actually question if, if i have enough knowledge if am i the right person to decide who should be our president am i qualified enough to go this is the person that should be in the white house um a lot of what we talked about today and i'd love to get your take on this but like a lack of leadership right um power and clarity, power and power, power and leadership, power in in in, um, in 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 the American dream, however you want to define that. But when I actually look, I'm so far away from how decisions are being made, and it's like a game of operator, going from someone's mouth to how every news venue on the planet wants to put their spin on it versus how it shows up in my social media where i feel like i don't even want to read it anymore yeah and then you layer on there's 340 million people in the country not easy to manage all that and i i think i'm in the top 15 to 20 percent of educated and yet we all get a vote i mean what's your thought on all that maybe not a fair question
0: (laughs) Look, we we actually, if we look at the United States of America population, um, we have a, a system that hasn't been reformed to keep up with time, right? Like we have an immigration system that hasn't been reformed to keep up with time. So, you know, one of the things that people are talking about is that we have a lot of people who are disenfranchised in uh, Washington D.C., in Puerto Rico, in territories. You know, there's a lot of Questions about whether we all have the right to vote, like as the starting base. So that is, you know, a real question, and uh, certainly, you know, there's a big um, uh, fight. uh, Stacey Abrams has been taking on with, um, you know, she even was working across party lines in Georgia on trying to make sure that everyone has the right to vote. You know, I am of the belief, my grandfather, you know, fought in World War II, and um, I am of the belief that if I do not do everything that I can to be educated on the issues and the people who are up for election, um, then shame on me. And um, and I think that you know we need to do a better job of making sure that it is part of our education system, and that you know kids realize that in you know these extraordinary privilege, privileges that we have in being American, in living in America with the right to vote, with those great responsibilities, um, you know, w- with this great power comes great responsibilities. And those responsibilities are, you know, getting ourselves into a position where we have all the information. And so, you know, I, I go outside of my bubble of information to try to test myself. So I go to Breitbart regularly. I go to Drudge Report regularly, even though Drudge Report published something with my email address on it at one point, And I got the most hate Filled (laughs) emails I've ever gotten. But you know, like I try to get outside of my comfort zone. And I think that's one thing that we should all be challenging ourselves on reform. There's actually real reform that we could pass. Like, I don't know if you guys watched social dilemma. I watched it because I wanted to know. And I really, yeah, I I do think we need to take on the fact that um, we are selling personal data. And is that something that we should have that's legal, right? Or should this be, um, you know, like illegal? That's, that's a real question. Um, and I think that those are, those are questions that, you know, our generation has to take on because, frankly, the generation that's in power right now, they don't all understand technology, (laughs) enough to ask some of these questions. It poses
1: a bigger question, which is how does politics stay up with the advancement that's going on in the world, right? Because evolution is happening quickly and we know it's exponential. We can see it before our eyes. And all you have to do is look back a hundred years, right? So in your view, how does that happen with our system currently and ping-ponging back and forth and we're facing other global economies and groups of people that are thinking more long-term than we are. And we have a lot of infighting going on right now. And if you look, if you compare it to businesses, those are the businesses that fail, right? The ones that can't get the leadership thing, right. You know, and we talked to a lot of leaders about honesty, vulnerability, what it takes to be courageous, what that means, having faith and belief. And when you have two parties, that maybe have some similarities in belief, but then you have like the polls that are happening right now. I think one, how do you pull the system back together? And two, can, can it even keep up or does it have to implode?
0: I'm I don't want it to implode and I think that we've seen this in our democracy before the two steps forward you know uh, one step back and I'm hopeful that if we get back to some basics and you know like look I'm telling everyone to vote for Joe Biden and he himself is not going to be able to write all of these things like I am fully fully aware of that but I'm saying vote for Joe Biden so that we get people who are willing to work with the other party in power so that we can actually get back to basics. And to that extent, actually, like I really liked seeing Andrew Yang emerge on the scene because I thought he was talking about some of these issues that, you know, some of us who are of a different generation than some of the leaders right now have been talking about. And, you know, the more oxygen, so this is what I always say, and I think it's the same for brands, but really to win any campaign, you need money and you need oxygen, right? And so unfortunately, a lot of money and a lot of oxygen have gone to a lot of, those who have kind of, um, stale ideas, right? Like we see Lindsey Graham again, we see Mitch McConnell again on these issues. Like I actually did on the podcast on Pod is woman. I criticized Nancy Pelosi's response to, um, the small business owner, uh, when she got her haircut, because I just, I didn't think it was fair. And I thought, you know, no matter what the case is, small business owners are hurting. And, you know, like, I think that this generation of leaders has done a lot. They've been there a long time, and it's time for new leaders. And so for those new leaders, what I'm trying to do is get more oxygen to them. And then eventually, you know, like money and power so that they can be part of the solution. And I think we're seeing that, you know, like in the brands that evolve, they know they have to stay nimble, right? So we know that we have to stay nimble in politics too. And my hope is that with this reset, we could actually like reset the whole system. Like I I said, I was going to monitor you know, blockchain voting because I'm curious what it could be. And I want to see a voting system in which you're not just going in and seeing Republican and Democrat, but instead seeing people's votes on issues. Like not just, you know, uh, they they, they agree with me on this, but what did they actually do for small business owners? And I think a lot of that has been hard to find for too long. And we have the technology tools that we could make it much easier.
2: Amen on next generation leaders. That that works for us. I mean, that's it's, sometimes that's what it takes, right? Yep. Um, as we close, let's imagine that there wasn't a social distancing issue and you could hop a plane back to Kansas for that family reunion just two days before the election. So talk to me about the conversation. Try to let's try to wrap it in a in a swift minute. But you've got the family there. Yeah. What do, they, what do they say, not just your dad, who's voting for, for who and why?
0: Oh, I mean, I, I have a lot of family members who may vote for Trump yet. And I'm saying to them now, and I'll say to them then, this isn't American. It's, it's not your values. Like, I know my family, and they would never stand up on a stage and say people are, you know, uh, drug addicts; that they're pedophiles. He'd never; they'd never say things like, you know, oh, those Democrats are all awful; they're all burning down, you know, our cities. Like, if if you wouldn't say these things, if you wouldn't allow your kids to say these things, how how can you vote for this president? And I I understand that, you know, there's money at stake and there's business uh, decisions at stake. And I think we have to sort all of those things out. But right now it's like, I think our soul is on the line and I know my soul, they know my soul and I am praying that I get some of them (laughs) <laughs> to come over and see a little light. <laughs> and then afterwards we can have all the debates on how we reform the system so that it's all more fair. But I, I think like you, Ryan, I wanted to support this president and I cannot. And I hope that they agree with me on that.
2: We're going to find out soon enough. And, uh, you know, I'm all for hope and really grateful to – have you on the show today, and uh, we'll see what happens on November 3rd. Here we go.
0: Absolutely, or after November 3rd. (laughs) We'll stay tuned, (laughs) but do do tune in to us at at Pod is a Woman, and I am definitely going to be tuning in to you guys. Really excited for all you're doing.
2: Congrats on, on the new show. Yeah, we got to take a listen. Have you had any men on the on the pod? Not link?
0: yet. Not yet. We are actually, you know, taking those folks who are writing us and we're thinking about it. We had a couple pods, actually, that we just wanted to do just us girls. So we're going to start having some guests on again uh, soon. But uh, it's been a lot of fun. Keep rolling. <laughs> take care. Absolutely.
2: Next week on the Courageous Podcast... We're joined by keynote speaker, Jay Bear.
1: If you enjoyed the episode, please give us five stars, subscribe, and leave us a comment.